This is Roma Agrawal, the engineer, and I'm speaking to you today from a slightly different engineering environment to my usual, the kitchen. For this episode of Create the Future, I'm swapping my hard hat for an apron and taking a look at the engineering that's hidden in the world of baking. Now, I wouldn't call myself a pro baker by any stretch of the imagination, but I do like baking and I can make a pretty decent batch of biscuits. But I've also had my fair share of disasters, pineapple upside down cake, I'm thinking of you. But it's always struck me that baking actually has lots of parallels with engineering. Okay, so we're in the kitchen. Um, what are we doing? You need to think about which materials or ingredients you're going to use. So, baked Alaska assembly. Insulation is the name of the game. So we've got our sponge on the bottom. Yep. We've got our ice cream, which is rapidly melting. The set of steps you need to follow. I'd say tip about uh, half to two thirds of that in. That doesn't sound very precise. I'm just going to put that out there. And also, how you're going to bring your delicious creation together. You're going to get about 80% air in by volume, but I've spared you the hand. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, that's the answer. <laughs> so, um, so in this episode, I'll be speaking to Andrew Smith, an engineer and baker who has combined his two passions into a new concept that he calls baconeering. Turns out for the same insulation, you'd only need three times the thickness of meringue. I mean, why? Why Why would you not use meringue well, on exactly. a space if shuttle? This is the thing. If you've got a, a few spare egg whites on the shuttle, yeah. then... Andrew was also a finalist on the Great British Bake Off, and I also really enjoyed his Netflix cooking show, Baking Impossible. Later on, we'll be joined by Sarah Schenauer, an engineer and the winner of that very same Netflix show, Baking Impossible. I just have this memory of each time that these uh, challenges would be launched, having this moment of like, OMG. We're going to be talking about the parallels between baking and engineering, why we need new ways to celebrate the joy and the creativity in engineering, and maybe even whipping up some of our own edible creations. Time to fire up the, uh, the blowtorch. I'll get this on there. Oh, listen to that. So genuinely, I have watched, I think, every season of The Bake Off. It's always a staple in my house. And I'd never met Andrew. But from day one, I was rooting for Andrew to win. Purely based on the fact he was an engineer, it had nothing to do with your baking skills or anything like that. It was just, he has to win because he's an engineer. And that gear stand that you made, was it for pies? Yeah, pie, yeah. So they were for pies. Um, I may have gotten a tattoo of gears on my arm. Um <laughs> You know, in reverence of your gear stand, let's let's go with that story, shall we? Um, yeah, I just I was so excited to see an engineer on Bake Off, and I loved watching your approach to it. Can you just like tell us a bit about that experience? But tell us about being an engineer on Bake Off. <laughs> well, that first of all, that's very kind, Ray, but I'm, I'm thrilled that you've <laughs> maybe permanently inked your body in some part <laughs> because of the uh, the gears. And um, being an engineer on Bake Off was was very interesting to me because it reminded me of really needing to understand fundamentals because there is nothing that makes you learn baking quicker than being thrust onto the television and be given briefs. And it, it was quite similar to engineering in a way because 
I'd never made a load of the stuff before in Bake Off. I was not an accomplished baker when I went on the programme. There were so many gaps in my application. But when you get given a challenge brief to hit and you know you have two weeks and then we're going to be in a tent recording it, which potentially (laughs) millions of people are going to see, I tell you what, you fail fast and you work out what works pretty quickly. And I think a kind of first principles approach, so I, I always broke everything down. And I think that stood me pretty well because at the beginning, I really thought I was faking it till I attempted to make it. I thought if I get through week one, that's okay. And then you think if I get through midway, yeah, then I'll be okay. And then once you get to that point, you think, you know what, for the engineers, I've got to try and go, got to go. go the whole hog. Andrew, so we've seen you get into baking and make this huge kind of amazing career success out of it. Can you tell us how you got into engineering in the first place? So very curious child. I'm sure that's a common theme for a lot of engineers. <laughs> I was an absolute pain to my teachers asking questions. I was always fascinated by things that flew. So mm-hmm. I was lucky enough, I joined the the Air Cadets and I got some flying experience. I was pretty convinced that I wanted to be a pilot, actually. But at the time when I was leaving school around 2009, nobody was really hiring pilots. So I thought I need a backup option here. Uh, somebody at some point, I can't, I wish I could remember who it was, floated the idea of engineering. And I remember opening the prospectus and looking at aerospace engineering and thinking, this all sounds amazing. I'm, I'm going to do that. So uh, went off and studied it and actually realised that rather than kind of being the driver of this incredible machine in the sky, I wanted to be the one that was actually working on it. So I kind of parked my pilot ambitions to one side and then took up a graduate position at Rolls-Royce. So I started off in in jet engine design, which was a surprise to me because I really struggled with thermodynamics when I was at (laughs) university. So somehow found myself in the thermodynamics team, really enjoying it. And and this is now we're talking about heat. Tell us a little bit about what what you're doing. Yes. So um, back then I was working when we test jet engines um, before we, uh, you know, jet you off on your holiday somewhere. We have to put them through a whole load of rigorous tests. And often um, what comes out of the test result doesn't quite match the computer model. So there's a bit of corrective factors that need to be applied. We run a kind of uh, engine analogy model to see what the difference is. So I worked in the testing team where we were getting this live engine data and trying to understand if all the components in the engine were performing. Um, and we get to do all sorts of fun tests, like fire chickens into the engine and that kind of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm going to assume they're not real chickens. Oh, but... no, they are. They are. But it's to replicate what happens <laughs> if you take off from a runway and you have some flocking birds going into the engine. So it's great that we test all this. They keep the test very shut down and it only happens really once per engine development cycle. Right. But one of my friends used to work on the team where she had to model what, you know, a, a chicken hitting a fan blade, what that did in terms of vibration modes. And it's very interesting. <laughs> I'll take your word for that one. <laughs> um, could you find that there are parallels between the processes that you follow in your engineering career and the baking that you do? I think even more so now. So now I'm more on the general research side and actually working with uh, universities and more early stage big picture research. The communication side of things has become really important. And actually, you know, in in, in baking, I think one of the things that um, I learned from Bake Off was you, you can't just find a really good recipe in a book, you've got to create new recipes. That's part of the rules of going off Bake Off. So you learn Mm. this kind of creativity, forging your ground. And actually a lot of what we do in terms of that asking questions, why is this the way it is? What can I change? Is what we have to do in research. Um, Now when we're thinking about aircraft, the future and things, it's thinking outside the box. But also you can't just have a good idea. You need to persuade people that it's worthwhile pursuing. You can be amazing technically, but if you can't bring anybody along on that 
you know, journey, you're just going to be alone in the forest. <laughs> I totally agree. I don't think I realised until I started working as an engineer how important communication skills are and that ability to break down really complicated engineering principles and explain it to anyone. You talk a lot about baconeering and you've been on this tour talking about baconeering. What is that? Tell, tell us what that means. So baconeering, for me, it, it's got kind of two sides to it. One is explaining engineering or the complex engineering around us, but in something, uh, in a way that everybody can understand. So I like using baked analogies okay. to explore engineering and we'll maybe talk about one of those later on. Ooh, uh, the second side of it is making things that might seem impossible out of baked goods using engineering skills. Um, and that's where kind of the the big epic builds uh, come from and cakes doing surprising things like floating or being able to make gingerbread skyscrapers comes from. Um, but what underlines all of it is just bringing that sense of fun to engineering because, I mean, you know as well, Roma, when you have that problem-solving moment as an engineer, hmm. it feels incredible. It and does. it is fun, but sometimes it's hard to convey that if you're not in the midst of it. So... What underlies all of it is just injecting that sense of fun and really showing how creative engineering can be and that we don't need to take ourselves so seriously all of the time. No, we don't. Um, so I'm a very, very average baker. But if, if someone like me is just in their home making a nice sponge cake or making their you know usual Sunday casserole, tell me what engineering we're doing. Well, I, I would say what you want to be doing is some prototyping from the outset. So uh, often get the problem where people will say, I'm a terrible baker. And I'll ask them to explain what happened. And they got really ambitious. They opened a cookbook. They had some multi-element extravaganza. They tried to make it. And obviously, it was a total disaster. Kel surprise. But really what you need to do, which is what we do in engineering, we would never just go from a paper study to a full engineering product. You break it down into steps, you test and you prototype. And I'd say the same thing for baking. So if you want to make, say, um, you know, a killer trifle, best trifle you've ever had, you're going to want to try a few sponges first and really mm -hmm. nail the sponge. You're going to want to understand how to make a custard uh, and how you make that set. You do all the components separately. And then when you're faced with something a bit unfamiliar or something new, you can use those kind of building blocks of knowledge to build up and it's the same thing we do in engineering we fail fast we prototype yeah. we, we build it up to try and reduce the risks of failure at the end and that's engineering but the most important part of that whole process is the testing at the end of course yeah. of course yeah. you know we let's, nibble let's jet engines we nibble exactly. trifles yeah. it's yeah. all you it's know all, all the same thing we, we like to taste it to, to check that we've got the right product <laughs> that's the validation we seem to have this divide, and I think it's a problem that you do see in different parts of the world, where we tend to divide up creativity, so-called creativity, I'm doing air quotes at the moment, and science and engineering. I would love to hear from you why you think Baconeering bridges that divide between so-called creativity and engineering. That's a really interesting question. One I've asked myself many times before about <laughs> why, why it works. I think one of the reasons is because it, they are so jarringly separate, uh, when you when you first encounter them. So when I first started talking to people about it, they, they looked at me as if my head was cut <laughs> because I think what they thought I was going to do was just make a cake in the shape of a plane or a car and say, oh, look, it's, it's baconeering. I think why it works is it stirs up that curiosity to look at the world in a different way. Um, I, I totally agree with you. For me, creativity and engineering are so intertwined, it's hard to separate them. But we do fall into this trap, especially sometimes with the, the generation before us, some of the careers advice we give now mm. is very uh, sort of thinking in silos. So we'll say you, you choose your career path, you pursue it, and then yeah. you, you stay in your lane. 
Yeah. Is sometimes the advice that we give. Whereas I, I want to break down the lanes. And I think we're increasingly in a world where we need some specialists, certainly, but we need people with a diversity of thought. We need people um, who have a, a wider appreciation of different disciplines. And for me, I mean, there's actually some great examples of, you know, candy floss, for example, mm, mm. Um, has crossovers with how they do fibre manufacturing. Yes. Um, so there's these lovely cross-pollinations that already exist where you take inspiration from one area and bring it to another. So I think that's really why it works. And particularly with children, uh, baking is non-threatening. Mm. Everybody loves eating baked goods where sometimes if you start talking about engineering sometimes I feel like you, you might have lost the audience if they have a misconception whereas if I give them something to eat start talking about it and then I sneak the engineering in kind of like a right <laughs> hook at the last moment catch them off guard uh, I think that's part of its success and that's it's absolutely brilliant I'm, and I'm a huge supporter of that but talking about this idea of linking up different fields you know creativity engineering and so on how is kind of science and engineering and gastronomy linked? Very, very closely. Well, gastronomy especially, because there's there's often this uh, saying that cooking is an art, baking is a science, uh, which I think I there's, like some, there's some truth in that, in that cooking, you, you can kind of adjust as you go along and there's a, a flair to it. Um, whereas baking, there's a little bit more precision required at the outset. But um, there's also another way to think about it, which is, I think, analogous to life in general, which is in cooking, you have people who are chefs and people who are cooks. And the cook is kind of carrying out the instructions and getting the job done, which we all need to be cooks in certain parts of our lives. But the chef, they bring the creativity. They're breaking you ground. It's energy intensive, but it's exciting and on the edge. There are chefs and cooks in science and engineering too, in that we all have the baseline engineering work that we need to get done. But the inventiveness and creativity, which is the sprinkling on top, is really the exciting part of what we get to do. But if everybody was creating everything all of the time, we'd all be just generating designs and nothing would get made. So I think that's part of where the overlap is in this whole idea of being a chef and a cook. But I mean, you just have to look at all the equipment you have in your kitchen to see all the engineering around you. Uh, I quite often, if I'm giving a talk, I just produce a balloon whisk, which looks incredibly <laughs> dull from the outside. But actually, there's a lot of really clever engineering that we just totally glaze past in our everyday life. No pun intended. Glaze. Oh, see, they just they just slip in so easily, <laughs> don't they, the baking puns? So, you know, you could, you could go around your kitchen finding literally thousands of things mm. that have been engineered that make our lives so easy they're just invisible to us so taking a step back looking at it I think the connections become pretty clear yeah I mean I love the can opener I think we've just talked about my obsession with gears and I love that I've got this amazing gear mechanism that doesn't require any power any kind of external source wire cables nothing you can just operate these two gears by hand and open tins it's amazing. but can we talk about how difficult it is to find a good tin opener and when you find that it you've got to point. cherish it you've got to cherish it and don't <laughs> let it go because there's, there's a lot of pretenders out there uh, I'm sure you're right why is it important to show the joy in engineering because engineering is joyful you talked about you know cracking that problem or seeing something that you've designed finally get built or finished and that is a very joyful moment. And I don't know if we talk about that. I, I guess there's those films of, you know, a space shuttle taking off and all the engineers at NASA ever kind of going, hey, we've done it. <laughs> More of that. How can we get that joy out? And why is it important that we share that? Well, I think... Um you know, it's where a lot of the satisfaction comes in the job. And sometimes when we're so deep in it and we talk about it, we get caught up in the technical minutiae of, of what we're working around. Whereas engineering is all about people. You know, it, 
it is made by people for people. Engineering is what makes you know science useful for humanity. So it's bizarre to me that we don't talk about the joy that we feel. And I, I really encourage engineers when they're in those situations where they're talking to the young people in their lives, or you're, you know, you're encountering, say, a, a school talk, for instance, to talk about their whole lives. Because really, I've I've worked for. Um, you know, a corporate company mm-hmm. for a decade. Yeah. And when I started out, it was very much when we went in, we gave the kind of boxed up presentation. Yeah. You're there as an employee, you're giving one side of the message. And actually, I thought about what's it like if you're a student sat here, all you're seeing is me parroting. What's well, some very interesting engineering, mm. but you're not finding out anything about me. Yeah. And it just looks like my entire life is engineering. Whereas we're all multifaceted. And I think we need to bring that to the table, show our humanity to show people that Engineers are not robots. Uh, you know, we have. We're not. This I know. Is news to amazing. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it, it it's not just um, you know single minded people whose only interest is engineering. It's may it takes all sorts to make a world and an engineering world, and that's where the joy sharing comes in. So we're in a studio at the moment. I don't think there's a huge amount of oxygen in here, and there's some possibly dodgy ceiling panels quite close to our heads. So I don't think it's a good plan to set off that blowtorch that you were playing with earlier. It looks quite ominous, here. doesn't it? I, it? It looks terrifying. <laughs> um, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to go into the kitchen to understand a little bit about this baconeering concept that you've explained. So can you talk to me about the infamous baked Alaska? Yes. What are you going to show us? Uh, well, have you eaten a baked Alaska before, Roma? I don't think I have. I remember there was baked Alaska gate on oh, yes. British oh, Bake yeah, Off we, at some point. Yeah, we don't talk about that. that was a we previous Northern Irish contestant. So baked Alaska, kind of ingenious. Uh, it's got a cold centre, that's the Alaska bit, and then it's got a toasted meringue on the outside. And what makes it amazing is you completely toast the meringue either in the oven, which is, I call it the vanilla method, or with a blowtorch. <laughs> and, I mean, who doesn't want I mean, to that's much more interesting, yeah. And it, it stays cool on the inside, and it's a great analogy um, because it works in exactly the same way functionally as uh, how the space shuttle was protected when it was re-entering from orbit. Uh, It turns out it faces similar temperatures, kind of gets to about 1600 degrees Celsius uh, on either the inside of the blowtorch flame or the entire outside of the re-entry vehicle. And just to give um, some context to that, I think steel melts at about 1200 to 1400 degrees Celsius. Yes. So this is beyond kind of the melting point of steel. We're pretty talking. toasty. Yeah. yeah, pretty toasty. Um, so the baked Alaska is a great kind of visual analogy in protecting the ice cream. Uh, it works in the same way, which maybe we'll touch on when we light up the blowtorch, uh, as to how the, uh, the space shuttle re-entered safely. Should we go do some baked Alaska? I think we should fire up the blowtorch. Let's do it. Okay, so we're in the kitchen. We've got some slightly different acoustics in here compared to inside the studio. But, you know, as I mentioned, we didn't want to set fire to the studio. Um, what are we doing? So, Baked Alaska Assembly. So we've got insulation is the name of the game. So we've got okay. a sponge on the bottom. Yep. We've got our ice cream, which is rapidly melting. And the meringue is the key bit, which we need to get a load of air into. Okay. So you've got two egg whites there. If you yep. want to uh, open this little container of sugar yep. here at Roma, and um, I'd say tip about uh, half to two thirds of that in. That didn't sound very precise. I'm just going to put that out there. That's all right. Normally I'd weigh, but we're going to eyeball it. Uh, yeah, let's go for that. Yep. And then I've got a lovely little electric whisk here. And the key is to get, you're going to get about 80% air in by volume, but I've spared you the hand. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the on switch. So um, 
I could have made you do this by hand, Roma, but I thought we'll use some nice electrical, some clever engineering here to speed up the process. So we're going to whisk this to uh, Firm Peaks. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking of all the gears inside the blender. Know, I'm very excited. Put them to good use. I'm also slightly concerned I'm going to get egg white all over my face. Um, here we go. Faster. Full speed, full beans. It's like marshmallowy. I'm just going to say this is why I could never do Bake Off because I'm bored already. <laughs> there it goes. Right, yeah, just lift those, lift those beaters out. Let's just see oh, if it's... Looking... I think that's stiff peaks, right? You know what to do, Roma. You know what to do. Get it over the head. Um, no, I'm actually a bit scared. No, that's right. Go for the inversion. <gasps> All dropped out. That's no, fine. It's fine. Looks great. <laughs> Cool. So, um, beautifully light and fluffy. That's now about 80% air. Okay. Air in little pockets. Yeah. Great insulator. Yeah. So, I think it's time to assemble. Put this okay, to the test. Okay, do it. Let's okay. do this. So, let's pop the, um, I'm going to pop the whisk to one side. There's your sponge base, which we've got. That's going to be our base insulation. If we put meringue on the bottom, obviously it would crush. Okay. We've got some slightly melted ice cream here. It's, um, it's going to be a challenge, but I'm just going to put a dollop of this yeah excuse my fingers gosh that is soft um <laughs> mm, looking it's uh, yeah it's looking um, <laughs> and then do you want to do you want to do I this have bit? A go yeah so what am so i just I'd, to... I'd start by putting a few dollops just around the side because yeah. i'm not sure the ice cream is providing as much structure as we would ideally want here so we've got some rapidly melting ice cream we've got kind of a blanket of meringue that's going around it that's it. And then I'm just going to tidy with a palette knife as we go, um, just to build a seam up around everything. Oh gosh. Yeah, that's it. Plonk on the top. This is like a, yeah, let's just, let's just, yeah, let's just, let's cover this up. Perfect. So time to fire up the, uh, the blowtorch. I'll get this on there. Oh, listen to that. The center of this blowtorch is about 1600 degrees C, so similar to what a space shuttle would uh, would experience on re-entry, but it would experience for it for about 10 or 15 minutes. I'm just giving this a little toasting on every side, and um, are you getting some... I can smell kind of caramel. the caramel, yeah. yeah, the hot sugar, and I can see the meringue is browning up pretty quickly. This is an intense um, few, blowtorch you've it got It is there. an intense blowtorch. Everybody needs one in their kitchen. <laughs> And then if I took that any further, obviously we'd start to get into slightly charred territory, but it's not melted down on the inside. And I actually did the calcs and worked out that if I was um, to take a space shuttle tile, which is made of, instead of the air pockets being held by meringue, Mm -hmm. it uses silica fibres. I mean, why? Why why would you not use meringue on a space shuttle? This is the thing. If you've got a a few spare egg whites on the shuttle, then you can just Just patch it up. Turns out for the same insulation, you'd only need three times the thickness of meringue than these silica fibre specialist panels. Meringue is that good an insulator. So if you that's amazing. If you slightly take uh, take apart the fact that it's a bit flammable with all the sugar in there, on pure insulation terms, it's an incredible insulator because of all the air. Um, I think it's time we stuck a yeah. Spin let's in let's, this let's, let's this, do uh, that. Okay, right. We're going to tackle this from two sides. This yeah. is sharing, sharing Alaska. Platter. Okay, straight into the middle. Oh, it's yeah. It's still it's still solid in the middle. It is still it? solid the, in the middle. The and then just take an obscenely lot. Oh, you've been a lot more. <laughs> I'm going to go big. Mm. Mm. That is incredible. I mean, that never gets old. 
No, I genuinely have never eaten a baked laska before, and that was just really? the weirdest combination of Every warm and cold. Bite. And Every second bite. Um, did I mention I'm dairy free? <laughs> <laughs> Are you actually? Oh <laughs> I'll just have to finish the rest of this then. But it's amazing. It keeps the inside super mm. cool, and it's those pockets of air. Air in a room, terrible, because it can convect around. Mm. But if you manage to trap it in pockets, either in meringue or in, a, uh, in silicon, a special tile, it's a delicious way to survive re-entry. Um, yeah, we're not going to share with the producers. Mm. Say that right Super. now. That's mm. bacon earring. Mm. Mm. I can't say that that baked Alaska lasted very long at all. I we think it was devoured. It. Yeah, um, but we're back in the studio now, and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Sarah Shunawa to the conversation. Sarah was the winner alongside a baker on the incredible show called Baking Impossible. Hi, Roma. It's so good to meet you. It's wonderful to meet you too. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I was telling Andrew I've seen the whole series of the show and from day one it was your team or tell me the name of the other team I was I mentioned. Cindy and Taylor. Cindy and Taylor. I was like, it's going to be one of them. Don't know which one, but I, I was so excited to see you on the show. <laughs> I love it. Wonderful. Well, thanks for... Uh... Thanks for cheering for us. Oh, if I you was, were rooting I, for I us. I was, I was. No, I was there, 100%. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a bit about the show? Sure, I'd be happy to. And thank you so much for having me. Um, I am a lighting designer by trade. Uh, I went to school for architectural engineering and somehow find my way onto the show. Uh, in the middle of the pandemic, I got an email that said, do you want to do something interesting? And they just caught me right at the right time. <laughs> and before I knew it, I was whisked into the Hollywood world and uh, paired up with Rodolfo, my partner, and thrown into this ridiculousness of the you know what was the show. And for those of you who may not have seen it, they basically paired up an engineer and a baker and then uh, made us do these ridiculous challenges and try to force edible into incredible, basically. <laughs> and um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of learning. Uh, it was a lot of stress, but um, it was a wonderful experience. So was that, were those ridiculous challenges basically Andrew's fault? Mostly, I think he does get all the credit <laughs> for making us go crazy. Uh, he's laugh. got an incredibly creative mind. <laughs> and he definitely put us to the test. Andrew, tell me a bit about why you wanted to make this show. So I'd, I'd had an idea for a long time that I wanted to, either I or I wanted to even better subject other people <laughs> to making incredible engineered bakes. So, you know, move over the gingerbread house that you see at Christmas. I want to see a gingerbread skyscraper and it's not just going to look great. We're going to put it on an earthquake shaking table and see how it performs. So this idea of, of baking things that are tasty, but also do this engineering function and um, got very serendipitously chatting to some Hollywood producers who put me in touch As with you them. Do. As it, you do. It was, it was very random connection, <laughs> uh, but um, then somebody had this brainwave to turn it into this reality format. What if we brought in, you know, incredible engineers like Sarah and paired them with professional bakers so they could form these baconeering teams? Because... Uh, I don't think there were that many ready-made baconeers out there. So no. this was the perfect way for them to learn from one another. And obviously it was great for me because I just got to create these horrendous challenges, <laughs> which I thought sounded really interesting. I obviously had an idea how I might tackle them. But part of the joy was seeing how Sarah and Rodolfo, for instance, took these challenges and just creatively solved the problems that we laid out for them. And it was a pleasure for me to watch. But I'm sure Sarah will attest it was, it was pretty stressful too. 
They literally called them stress tests. So I think that'll give you the idea. Um, Sarah, you're going to have to tell me which the standout challenge was for you and what you and Rodolfo did for it. They were all really unique. And, you know, I just have this memory of each time that these uh, challenges would be launched, having this moment of like, OMG. And then, you know, then the brain kicks in and it goes, okay, well, what about this? What about that? And you start sort of that iterative thinking. I think the one that I really am most proud of looking back, uh, like Andrew just mentioned, the the edible skyscraper was probably mm-hmm. my favorite. It was the closest to my training. So I think mm-hmm. I felt more confident going in, like, okay, structural engineering was something I actually studied, you know, not like robotics, which was like, oh, God, <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> And so, you know, making the, um, it was a five foot gingerbread structure that we ended up putting on a shake table. And there were some specs in terms of how tall it, you know, needed to be from a minimal standpoint. And then you could sort of embellish and make it awesome. So Rodolfo and I chose to do a sort of a futuristic city of Barcelona, tried to bring in some sustainable and equity aspects into our solution. They didn't give us, thanks, Andrew, a ton of time to test. It was really just, <laughs> you have to pick your best idea and sort of run with it. Um, but this one, I felt really that that uh, we could lean on some of the learning and um, and we were very successful. So that was probably my favorite one. Their building was solid as a rock. They were using <laughs> an edible glue. They basically made an embedded cake foundation. So it had, I think, about kind of five to 10 centimeters of cake at the base. And it was all this myriad of triangles when you looked down the internal yeah, structure. Love it, a was, triangle. it was beautiful. And as soon as I saw it, I thought, gosh, we're really going to have to give it the beans to try and uh, impact that. And I think we could have doubled the power on the shake table and it would not have moved anywhere. So yeah, they smashed that one out of the park. But, you know, I think, Andrew, um, you can probably attest that there was a there was a huge range of what people had created. And this whole idea of it being structural, but also beautiful and also delicious, you know, this was a lot to kind of meld together at once. Yeah. And you're an incredible role model. I was honestly, you were one of the reasons I was cheering your team on. I was like, yes, there's a woman and she's killing it with the engineering and using saws. And this is absolutely fantastic television. Um, how do you think, you know, your work, but Andrew's work, this all, all of this outreach that people are doing with kids and with the general public, how can that help our industry? Well, again, I think changing sort of the assumptions that people have about engineering and maybe breaking down the barriers of people who may be interested in exploring, you know, careers in engineering. Um, I think this helps mow all those down. It's not that women can do anything men can do. It's women can do anything they want to do. And mm-hmm. if they choose to pick up a drill press and learn how to, you know, do that, then <laughs> then wonderful. The more people that we have... Um, sort of in the industry, the more diverse minds that we can bring to the table, um, I think the more rich the ideas will be. Um, So again, I think that bringing as many young people, as many women, as many people of diverse backgrounds into a place that has historically been um, maybe a little bit more rigidly white and rigidly sort of a certain kind of mindset and a certain career path that gets you there. um, Like I said, I think it's going to bring about a lot more interesting sort of solutions and ways ways of looking at the world. And that's so interesting what you just said, Sarah, about the diversity or lack thereof in the engineering industry. Andrew, what's been your experience of, of the industry in the last decade that you've been a part of it? I know, a decade. Time decade. flies, doesn't it? A decade is terrifying. <laughs> um, it's really interesting because I think there's conversations happening now that a decade ago, so for instance, um, for me, you know, being LGBT in engineering, there 
a decade ago, you know, I thought I was the only gay in the village when I kind of rocked up in Derby at Rolls Royce. There was no nobody was talking about it, and I just thought, right, well, this is very unusual. Whereas now, you know, we've got employee resource groups. It's very openly talked mm. about, especially in terms of you know things like shared paternity leave, that yes. kind of stuff. So even in the ten years I've been there, I'm seeing some great strides. So I'm um, very encouraged by hopefully the next ten years when the dividends pay off, we're hopefully going to see people coming through. And as much as anything, we need to retain people with good environments because it's not just about being inspired. Absolutely. It's been in a, an environment that's conducive where people want to stay and they feel included. Sarah, why do you think it's important for us to bring that, again, I'm putting creativity in air quotes and engineering together? Well, I think probably the biggest reason is because of the air quotes. People keep those things completely separate <laughs> in their minds that engineers can't be creative or, or won't be or somehow that's not baked into them. And I just think that's patently false. Um, I'm, I know many engineers that are incredibly creative. And I think shows like this, especially, I mean, it was such a hit with kids, mm. you know, and I think bringing to light how interesting and fun engineering can be to that generation while we have so many challenges that they'll be facing, if we get people thinking creatively, I think we'll have a much better shot at solving some of them. Andrew, you're doing your baconeering shows all over the country in the UK. What are you trying to achieve and what change are you hoping to see from from this? I guess I'm hoping to reach the engineering audience that maybe if they haven't ex- been exposed to it at school, or if they don't have a uh, you know, parent or guardian who is in the sciences, they might not have come across it. So it's my way of, again, it's kind of reeling people in with baking something really accessible and fun. But I, I don't want them to just leave and say, oh, that was a good time at the end. I want to have sowed that kind of spark of curiosity and then leave looking at you know the stuff around them through a slightly different lens and seeing the engineering. We, we need more engineers. As Sarah said, we've got a load of big problems to solve. So um, I think we need all the all the great creative minds out there. Um, so uh, that's what I'm trying a new approach. Sounds fantastic. And um, it's already yielding great results. Yes. Well, yeah. well, I mean, we. I'm sure Sarah gets this as well. I get some very cute letters sometimes oh, from um, kids say what their favourite and sometimes I've been actually sending quite a few ideas for challenges from kids so somebody suggested a oh, chocolate roller coaster and I thought I am oh, immediately wow. stealing that why didn't I think of that that's a great one I love it so, and you know they're just <laughs> handing away their IP freely they have no idea about you know intellectual property law it's brilliant <laughs> you have to start a new TV show to educate about that yeah. Yeah. Sounds slightly dull compared to Baking Impossible. But um, (laughs) thank you. Thank you both so much for your time. It's been such a joy. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, as well, for joining us. Oh, of course. It's lovely to be involved. Thanks for having me. What a joy it was speaking to Andrew and Sarah. They're both so, so passionate about engineering, but also about baking. I'm not going to lie, my favourite part of today's episode was being able to sample some baked Alaska. And it's just so brilliant that that could be compared to a space shuttle installation. I mean, who would put those two things together? And I have so much admiration for Andrew for um, even doing the calculations to prove how insulating a meringue can be. One of the things I've really taken away from today's chat is how baking can actually help us secure a better future for engineering and open up the eyes of the next generation, especially those who may never have considered engineering as a possible career. Then hopefully we can slowly start to build a much more diverse workforce for engineering than we currently have today. You've been listening to Create the Future, a podcast from the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering and Peanut and Crumb. 
This episode was hosted by me, Roma Agrawal, and featured Andrew Smith and Sarah Shonawa. It was produced by Jude Shapiro. Look out for new episodes every fortnight. We'll be exploring topics such as the global race to net zero, how to extend the life of your household appliances, and even AI-enhanced humans. To find out more, follow QE Prize on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. <laughs>